From crypto winter to crypto geopolitics, from ChatGPT to AI avatars, from zero-proof identity to CBDCs and new forms of GovTech. Join inventors, artists, musicians, gamers, bankers, policymakers, and rebels for a discussion on how technology is reshaping our world. From our offices in Dubai, this is the UAE Tech Podcast. Money is not what determines success. It's an important part of that. And the more I looked at it, the more it seemed to me that the real pain point for early stage businesses was how do they scale? Uh, and I've been very fortunate to work with some of the great business scalers uh, around the world. Steve Brennan, who took eBay, Uber and PayPal from number three to number one in their markets. Uh, Tommy Mermelstein, who took Zip from a regional Australian company into 13 different markets, in, including the United States. And in talking to these these guys, I felt we felt there was a real opportunity to offer services that would help these uh, early stage VCs grow and hyperscale their businesses. Um, and we could have done it just for fees. We could have just charged uh, fees for it. But we felt to be really, really aligned with the companies, we should do it, uh, offer our services in exchange for equity. And that means we don't make any money if the company doesn't make any money. And if the company does really well, we'll do well uh, alongside them. Uh, and, and as a message, it seems to be resonating well with early stage businesses. Anthony Thompson is an understated Brit with a notable record. He founded two of the UK's best-known challenger banks, namely Atom and Metro. He holds advisory roles with ASX-listed Hum Group, ELA Bank, and WIO Bank right here in the UAE. So what is the lovably named Archie? Thompson and his team have taken note of the changes taking place in the UAE and wider GCC, particularly in fintech. Their plan is to help promising companies rapidly scale, leveraging intellectual capital, global market experience, and what seems to be a growing network of VCs and partners. We spoke about hypergrowth in the fintech market ahead of a superscale event at DIFC. Today we're talking to Anthony Thompson, the co-founder and chair of Archie. Anthony, great to have you on the UAE Tech Podcast. So could you tell us a little bit about you and a little bit about Archie? Sure, and thank you for having me. Um, so my background is uh, a million years ago, I started in financial services marketing. In the 90s, I built um the biggest financial services marketing agency in Europe, which I sold to Publicis. Um, I then built a member organization for senior executives in financial services, uh, which I uh, ran for 21 years. And in 2008, I had the rather bizarre idea to start uh, a new bank in the UK, which was Metro Bank, uh, which was pretty successful, started two of us, uh, ended up three and a half thousand people, 
five and a half billion dollar market cap. So quite traditional high street bank, but really focused on customer service. Uh, it was clear to me by 2012 that the future of banking was digital in general and mobile in particular. <clears throat> uh, the board of, of Metro didn't share that view. So I left and started uh, the first mobile bank in the UK, which was Atom Bank, which has been very successful over the last seven years, is now profitable, uh, likely to IPO next year. Uh, 2018, I moved to Australia, um, where I was invited to chair a new startup bank, which um, I did. Um, it was very successful. We got it to launch, got it to market. Um, 18 months in, it was purchased by National Australia Bank, one of the world, uh, one of Australia's biggest banks for $440 million. Um, so outside of that, I've been on the advisory board of Bank ABC based out of Bahrain. Uh, with their digital bank, ELA, which is now in Bahrain and in Jordan. And I'm a non-executive director of uh, WIO Bank, the new digital bank uh, out of Abu Dhabi. And I sit on a financial services company board in Australia. So that's me. So you've been uh, around. Um, I've been around, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Atom and Metro Bank, of course, incredibly well-known in the UK and almost household names. Um, so I think it's fair to say that you know this ecosystem. What led you to Archie and this part of the world? Uh, well, two parts to that. Uh, this part of the world is, as I say, I've been involved in Bahrain and Jordan for the last four years. I've been on the board of um, Bank AB, uh, sorry, of Wio Bank for um, the last two years. So I've been coming here a lot. And um, I really like it. I, I love the energy. I, I love everything I've seen in the fintech sector here. Uh, and I think it's a very vibrant community across the UAE, even across the GCC. And um, so it, it's great to, to be part of that. Um, Archie came about post the sale of um, 86400, the bank in Australia. Uh, deciding what to do next, I spent a lot of time looking at uh, the venture capital sector. And the more and more I looked at it, two things became apparent to me. One is from the VC perspective, 90% of VC success was down to luck, 10% down to good judgment. Mm. Uh, there are a few who reversed, I had a few very good VCs, but for many of them, it was you know, spray and pray, invest in lots and lots of businesses and hope that one of them turns out to be the next unicorn. And then from the portfolio company's perspective, the, the people VCs were investing in, the more I looked at those, the, the data was really staggering. Three quarters of all um, VCs that are invested in by, sorry, three quarters of all companies that are invested in by VCs fail. <clears throat> so clearly, money is not what determines success. It, it's an important part of that. And the more I looked at it, the more it seemed to me that the real pain point for early stage businesses was how do they scale? Uh, and I've been very fortunate to work with some of the great 
business scalers uh, around the world. Steve Brennan, who took eBay, Uber, and PayPal from number three to number one in their markets. Uh, Tommy Mermelstein, who took Zip from a regional Australian company into 13 different markets, in, including the United States. And in talking to these these guys, I felt we felt there was a real opportunity to offer services that would help these uh, early stage VCs grow and hyperscale their businesses. Um, and we could have done it just for fees. We could have just charged uh, fees for it. But we felt to be really, really aligned with the companies, we should do it, uh, offer our services in exchange for equity. And that means we don't make any money if the company doesn't make any money. And if the company does really well, we'll do well uh, alongside them. Uh, and, and as a message, it seems to be resonating well with early stage businesses. Definitely. And um, it's great to have some of your experience on the UA Tech podcast, but I also completely take the point on the difficulty with scaling, um, particularly for startups who have some traction but want to take it to the next level. So I know you have this super scale event in Dubai coming up. Um, why, why just fintech, and how does Archie specifically fit into all of this? Um, fintech is where we is this space that we know well, um, and you know I, I don't believe you can be all things to all men. And I know when I was on the other side of the table trying to raise money for for Metro Bank and Atom Bank in eighty six four hundred, whenever a VC said to me, you know. Was, we were generalists. I, I knew we'd never get them to write a check because they really didn't understand our world. So I think in 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 my colleagues, you know, uh, Dr. Paul Pester, who's former um, chief executive of TSB Bank in the UK, now chairs a digital bank and chairs a couple of um, fintech startups. Um, my colleague Fawa Zubi, who's been involved in venture capital in, in this region for the last 15 years uh, with Tommy, with Steve, with hopefully with my background, uh, we feel we can add value specifically in the, the financial services sector, in the fintech sector. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I know you guys have been talking about D33 and the UAB's ambition to elevate the digital sector contribution to over 20% of GDP by 2031. How do you think Archie can play a role in that? I think that's question one. And question two is, what do you think are the strengths and weaknesses of the fintech sector, specifically in the UAE? Um, if, if I take that second question first, John. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think the, the UAE... Yeah, the world is is becoming increasingly similar in terms of the issues and challenges and opportunities facing it. Um, you could argue that you know, perhaps it's a smaller overall market here than you know, America or, or, or Europe. But I think we, we've seen around the world that there is no geographical limit on great ideas. You know, we've seen Spotify come out of Sweden 
We've seen N26 Bank come out of Germany. We've seen Grab uh, come out of Asia. We've seen Canva come out of Australia. You know, these multi, multi-billion dollar businesses um, have been created by individuals who have great ideas. And I don't think geography uh, restricts that. Looking at the you know the tech hubs here, the the, the fintech community, um, there are some really brilliant ideas emerging from the region. Now, will they become uh, unicorns in the UAE or in, in the GCC? Quite possibly, but the likelihood is if they have a really really good idea, it'll transcend borders, um, and I think we can help them do that. So, which really comes back to the second uh, question that you just asked me you know, what what can we do to help these guys um i think it, it comes down to two things for a lot of them you know if 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 there's a founder if this is his his or her first or second sorry second or third um business it's unlikely they'll need us because they'll have the experience and the expertise to scale a business but for first time founders they're usually really, really good at understanding their product and understanding how to solve a customer problem. But they, they don't have the experience or expertise to scale that business either within the region or globally. Um, and the worst thing that can happen is you know, VCs come along and go, you've got a great business. We love it. We, we think you can scale it. Uh, here's some money. And the the, the founder goes, well, what do I spend it on? You know, I don't know how to allocate this resource because I've never had to do it before. Um, you know, we've been around that block a few times. We've we, we've got the scars because you know, not everything works. Uh, we've got the T-shirt. And I think that's where we can help. We can stop them making the mistakes that perhaps we've made in in, in previous occasions. And we can share with them things which have worked for us Um in in some territories or on, on some occasions globally so i think that's that that's where we feel we can add the most value that makes sense um and i think there's a lot to discuss here and maybe we can go into some of the particularities of sure. the local local market here um the the macro strategy makes total sense uh it does sound like you guys can can add an awful lot of value and I'm, I'm sure the experience, you know, in the UK, in Australia, Bahrain, incredibly valuable. What is also interesting is that in each one of those jurisdictions, there's different regulatory compliance, different culture, even a different way of using digital payments often in, in, in many markets. Is this also an opportunity for you to understand the regulatory regime, the, the policy goals, and how things work here in the UAE and possibly elsewhere in the GCC. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that we have you know, some some understanding. I, I, I'm uh, regulated by the Central Bank of the UAE to, to be a director um, of Rio Bank. Um, my of colleagues Falcon and Tommy yeah. uh, both live in the region. Um, but I think more generally, yeah, I look at uh, regulation. I'm, I'm speaking at an event in Sydney for APRA, which is the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority, um, in about a week's time. And they're bringing together um, representatives from 56, sorry, 26 different countries across 
across Asia. And looking at the agenda and, and the things they're discussing, the, the problems they face and the way they're trying to solve them is very much the same. You know, central banks work together um, across the world to identify and put into place best practice. And I think we've seen, you know, things like open banking started in the UK, spread to Australia, is now spreading um, across here and other regions. Um, I think we've seen learnings from central banks in other places, you know, particularly around crypto that are being applied by regulators. So I think there is an underlying commonality um, with regulators. So uh, hopefully that we can uh, that I have some experience and my colleagues have some experience of. You know, of course, there are nuances and particularly, as you say, cultural differences. And you know, I, I would not certainly claim to be uh, you know, an expert in those cultural differences. But I think working with, with my colleagues and working with our portfolio companies, we can address those things. You know, we, we aren't claiming to be experts in everything. Yeah, and it is interesting. And of course, WeO Bank has done a really promising job of expanding digital banking to you know SMEs that at times have struggled to open a business bank account, which has been a historic um, frustration at times. I think it's got massively better over the past decade, but there is more work to be done. And at the same time, the UA has been moving very fast in expanding digital payments and digital banking to all sectors of the population, even sectors in parts of the city that would traditionally be somewhat unbanked. So that includes small merchants that are, you know, smelling, selling relatively um, low priced items at scale and wouldn't traditionally have had a banking solution in the past. Now, increasingly, there are payment services available to them. Um, but even today, one of the struggles with businesses, particularly businesses that are at the forefront of technology or providing services that don't fit neatly into established categories or don't perhaps have or perhaps have an, an orthodox um you know shareholders agreements or or minimum capital requirements that they can't meet there are still frustrations with getting um smes of various colors and stripes in the free zone or the mainland access to banking and of course that is a bit of a problem for scale because it means you have a proportion of uh, businesses that, that can access all of these things and get credit cards and, and loans, which is a separate issue. But then another proportion that often go through a period of, you know, can be months to even a year if it's if it's something like the metaverse or something, you know, that could potentially include crypto. I don't I don't think we want to get into that, but but it's it's just an interesting case study. So do you think there's also a kind of wider goal here of finding more ways to make it easier for someone to start a, a business and to get access to digital payment cards, digital payment solutions at the same time as providing security of, you know, KYC and AML. Yep. So yeah, obviously I am biased because I sit on the board of uh, Rio Bank. Yeah. But I, I would say that uh, Jay Patel and the team have done a phenomenal job in serving the underserved and, and, and underbanked hmm. SME community. And you've got to say, well, what, what do we mean by the SME community? It can be a, a, anything from, you know, people like you or I who might have a a, a second job or a, or a, 
um, a startup business that we're working on in the evenings, you know, the so-called gig economy, right through to more established businesses. Um, and I think what WIO has done is, is just look at all of the pain points that those people face mm. uh, and address them one by one from a digital perspective. Now, of course, WIO is a bank, therefore it, it it's, uh, has to operate under the central bank regulatory framework. And there are certain things it can do and certain things it can't do in terms of, of, of opening accounts, which are outside of its control. But uh, what... Uh, obviously, as I say, I'm a bit biased, but I think the guys have done a fantastic job in solving a lot of the pain points for SMEs. And to our earlier conversation about what kind of businesses are coming out of um, out of the region, I think that's a great example of a business that you know two years ago, more or less, two and a half years ago, was simply an idea. Yeah, very uh, true. And, and today is now a you know, a very very fast growing uh, bank for SMEs, and and as I'm sure you're aware, has recently launched for retail customers, uh, and that side of the business is growing incredibly quickly. That is true. There has been incredibly rapid change. Um, we're getting towards the end of our time today, but I wanted to reference some of the remarks of your colleagues um, about the general industry, which I think you, you might find uh, interesting. So we had a, a great episode with a guy called Jamie Broadbent um, on, uh, from, from the UK. I think it was um, Bank of Scotland, um, well, Scottish Bank or something like that. But anyway, he said that there is a future for banking, a very... Uh, exciting future for banking, but maybe not such a great future for brick and mortar banks. What do you think about that? Hundred percent agree with him. Um, we've seen massive decrease in in bricks and mortar bank banking in uh, across the US, across the UK, across Europe, uh, in in Australia, um, and for areas with with relatively large proportion of unbanked uh, population like say Egypt the future is without doubt digital okay that makes sense we finally we had one other episode which was fascinating uh, with a European banker who'd worked all over Europe and the UK very high level mainly with central banks and we said, well, you know, it's great to hear all of this feedback on open banking, but what do you think about kind of digital currencies and, and you know, the idea of just digital banking? And he said, well, well, I absolutely hate it, but, um, you know, and I've always hated it. And then one day I changed my mind because, um, you know, I was online and I heard about Facebook's idea to launch a currency at that time called Libra and later Dien. And then, um, you know, we did the maths and we figured out that Facebook had something like, you know, ridiculous, 2.5, I think at the time, billion users. And we realized that if that currency did launch and even became somewhat accepted or half accepted, then most of the European banking regulatory climate would be decimated, you know, overnight. And I just thought that was fascinating, the power some of these platforms have. 
Um, so I just wanted to get your final reflection on that. Is this also a story about the power of the internet and the, and the power of kind of the new networks that are scaling? And do you think banks are themselves going to become much more like Facebook is a bad example, but much more like platforms and much less like much more software based and much more brick and much less brick and mortar based? Yeah, um, you could make a good argument, or I have made the argument in the past that Atom Bank and eighty six four hundred were really software companies with a banking license attached mm. to them. Um, I think you've got a just very quick answer to to quite a long question. Um, I think you've got to separate uh, cryptocurrencies from the distributed ledger technology that underpins them. Uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of um, DLT. I think it's going to change the way we do many, many things going forwards. Um, so I think the, the the technology which underpins the currencies, I'm a huge fan of. Cryptocurrencies themselves scare me. There, there is an they're not a currency, they're an asset class, and they're an asset class without anything underpinning them. Um, and we've seen with uh, with some of the main currencies, massive, massive variations in, in, in their valuation. So um, those worry me. And I think people thinking that they're currencies as opposed to an esoteric asset class worries me. Uh, I think the idea of central banks producing digital currencies that are underpinned by the fiat currency is probably the future. And uh, there is no doubt in my mind, it, within years, there will be central bank issued digital currencies. Uh, and that will again transform the way banking takes place. That is a good argument. And I like the point, the distinction on DLT and have a lot of sympathy for it. If you ever have time and, and are in the mood one of the most uh, interesting aspects of running the UA Tech podcast has been getting the crypto bros, as they're known, on one side, at very high level, um, arguing the exact opposite of what you've just said. And then, you know, people from the fintech and banking system with excellent exposure, um, quite articulately arguing the opposite. And truth be told, both of them have very convincing arguments. And we've been dying to put them all in a room at some point um, and see what happens. So if you're ever up for that in the future, <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a fascinating and viral episode. Um, but Anthony, I'd love to, because I, I think you know, currencies are still very, these cryptocurrencies are still very nascent. Mm. When I say that they worry me in, in, in the nature of the asset class that they are at the moment, I'm sure they will evolve and change in time. Um, yeah, so my, my flag in the ground is today they concern me, but I'm sure that in the future, as I say, with central bank uh, underpinned currencies, I'm sure there will be a future for them. Yeah, and we've also spoken to some of your colleagues. We had a, an episode a, a couple of months ago with uh, ind independent, small independent banks, I've forgotten the technical term for them. But there was one, and um, they were aghast at CBDCs. And in fact, the whole episode, episode turned into quite interesting discussion on CBDCs. So that's that's a whole other one. Um, but Anthony Thompson, thank you so much for your uh, comments today. It's a, a great run through fintech in the UAE, and we wish you and Archie all the best for the future. Thank you so much for the opportunity to join you, John. Thanks. Mm -hmm.
Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Alboaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Alboaba Business, syndication distribution on Alboaba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Alboaba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.